You know, one of the things that I'm thankful for is for this church family and the journey that we're on together. And last weekend, last Sunday afternoon, in this space right here, there was about 30 of us that came together for a really special uh, time together. It was the, uh, the Kairos blanket exercise. And together, we learned about uh, our history as a nation and our history with our indigenous neighbors. And uh, a lot of it was stuff that we didn't know. Or if we did know, we hadn't really internalized and if it was a really powerful afternoon together where we, it, it was intense, it was hard, but as people who are committed to pursuing peacemaking and reconciliation, it was really important. And so there was a group of us here that came together, and I'm going to say, I think we, we've bonded because we went through the experience together. And it's a part of how we as a church are trying to live out what does it mean to be peacemakers? What does it mean to be a part of this reconciliation journey that us as a nation, as Canadians, and I think as followers of Jesus, need to be keenly aware of? And so I'm grateful that I had a chance to do this with many of you. And as a quick aside, uh, this is the second year that we've done something like this, a bit of a, a learning experience where we've gotten a chance to, to learn about our relationship with our indigenous neighbors. And we're already brainstorming what we might be able to do next year. And we're hoping that even more folks might participate in that next year. Maybe you hadn't had a chance to do it last year or this year. Next year, we might have a chance to do that together again. Well, this morning we are continuing in our sermon series called Peaceful Practices, where we are exploring what does it mean to be a peacemaker in our daily lives. Indeed, this call to be a peacemaker, and Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, this call to be a peacemaker is tested every day. It's tested in our relationships with our kids. It's tested in those tense meetings that we find ourselves having at work. It's tested when we have a conversation with a neighbor and, and, and the conversation turns political. You know, the reality is, is that on a daily basis, we encounter various levels of conflict, and how we handle those moments matter. They matter for the sake of our relationships with, that, with the individual in question, and they matter because they are a way that we express what, it, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus. And so for the past couple weeks, over the past couple weeks, we've, we've been exploring this, and we talked about the practice of curiosity, which is being open to the perspective of others and asking questions like, hey, what do you think I should know? Where are my blind spots? Can you help me understand? And then we also talked about discovery, which is taking our curiosity and going below the surface to see what is really going on underneath a conflict. And these two practices, if we just left our series at that, would be great because they would help us, help us engage conflicts and disagreements and problems differently. They would give us some simple tools to be a little bit more productive and for these conversations, these exchanges to be a little bit more life-giving than they, they might be otherwise. But to build on this today, uh, we're going to explore this big idea that as a community, we have the skills to help one another navigate conflict. As a community, we have the skills to help one another navigate conflict. And to root our time together, we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to ask Sandra to come on up and to read that for us this morning. First Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. The body is a, is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many... They form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. 
it would not, for that reason, um, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, when would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an eye, when would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, even one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the part that we think the less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the part that are unpresentable and treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given great honor to the parts that lacked, lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, and those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gift, love. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Thank you, Sandra. You know something that snuck up on me that I honestly never saw coming about myself? Um, and it's the fact that I can be rather particular about some really stupid stuff. Maybe you're with me. Like, for instance, there's a right way and a wrong way to load a dishwasher. Did you know that? Yeah. There's a right way and a wrong way to load the dishwasher. There's also a right way to mow my lawn. There's also a right way to shovel the snow in my driveway. I didn't know that until a couple years ago, until, you know, somebody decided to try to help. And there I was, there's some kind individual who's mowing my grass, and what's going through my mind is, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> or they decide to help shovel my snow, and like they put the pile in the wrong spot. Or they loaded the dishwasher, and I'm thinking, oh, the cups are in the wrong place. Those bowls are never going to fit there. Now, it's completely goofy, okay? Because at the end of the day, what I know is my grass got cut, my snow got shoveled, and I have clean dishes, okay? That's what matters. And at the end of the day, I realize, this, this helps me realize that, you know what? There is not just one right way to do some of these things. In fact, just because somebody does something differently than I do, it doesn't make them wrong. Well, in the passage we just read that Sandra read for us, the Apostle Paul is trying to help the church in Corinth see that there's more than one kind of right, that there's more than one way to be an authentic representation of Jesus in the world. Yes, there's one spirit, but we as God's people are many, and we have different gifts, different experiences, different styles, different tendencies, different habits. We are unique. 
Now, usually as we read this passage, we focus on the different spiritual gifts that Paul mentions. And you know what? That's a really good thing for us to reflect on. But I think it's also important for us to take a step back and see how this passage can also speak at a much broader level to the diversity that exists in a community like ours. And that we need to learn to embrace that it's not, you know, that diversity is not just a reality of who we are, but it's actually a part of what makes us strong. That there's strength, that there's resilience, that there's creativity that comes about because we're, we're not all the same. And so as we consider what does it mean for us to engage conflict well, what does it mean for us to enter into those tough conversations or to navigate those hard conversations that we, we encounter every, every day, recognizing the various gifts that we have that exist in our community like this provides us with some, of the, with some valuable resources that we need if we are to be the peacemakers that Jesus is calling us to be. See, we won't all engage conflict the same, and that's a good thing. See, the different approaches that we have to conflict reflect the diversity that exists in the body of Christ. You know, we each bring something unique, something valuable to our experience and perspective of conflict. But the problem is that just like we might think that there's a right way and a wrong way to load our dishwasher, that we can find ourselves thinking that, that, that certain ways of engaging conflict are somehow way better or the only way to deal with conflict. You know, society tells us that winning is the only appropriate option. Indeed, the messaging of our culture often is that force is the superior response to conflict. I mean, this, just think about how we see nations responding to other nations. It's often through force, one way or another. Sometimes in a church setting, we talk about a collaborative approach to engaging conflict and that we need everybody's voice at the table. That's a good thing. Other times what we've seen in a church setting is the approach where a single leader makes decisions on behalf of a community. You know, sometimes we need somebody to lead us. That's not always bad. And then again, maybe what we've seen is something that's a little less healthy, or definitely less healthy, it's much more passive-aggressive, where there's a pattern of campaigning to get people on our sides, or gossiping, or shutting people down, or just avoiding conflict altogether. And so we might find ourselves wondering, what approach is the best? Is there, is there even a right one but remember, the Apostle Paul in this passage here is encouraging us to not put all our eggs in one basket. You know, his metaphor of this body with many parts invites us to recognize the value uh, of the unique contributions that we each have with the gifts uh, that we each bring into our relationships. And he explicitly outlines how each member of the body is needed. That a complete body is not made up by only having eyes or hands. That would look really weird but is made up of a whole variety of parts that some of them are much bigger, some are smaller, some are much more detailed and intricate, some are much simpler, but all together it forms a body. You know, here's something else that I'm learning about myself, and that is that at bedtime, my default approach to conflict with my kids is to be the guy who lays down the law. That is my default approach. Now, this, the strength to this approach is that there's accountability. Those teeth will get brushed, and they will go to bed at an appropriate time and get a good night's sleep. The downside to that approach is it doesn't always work because it tends to lend itself to uh, the escalation of circumstances, power struggles perhaps. And so sometimes what I need, sometimes what I re when I'm smart and I recognize it, sometimes I'm like, I need a better approach to this conflict. I need a better approach to how we handle bedtime. 
Now, the good news is I don't have to look too far because my wife is much better than I am in these situations. And Michelle handles these moments, you know, with insight because she has the ability to, to see that there's a whole lot more going on than just what's at the surface. This is not a toothbrushing issue. This is about something else. And so I can look to her to provide me an alternative way of seeing the conflict that I'm perceiving. You know, as we think about what it looks like for us to engage conflict well, we can apply what Paul is saying by recognizing that having a one-size-fits-all approach to conflict won't always work out for us. In fact, it would be wise to recognize that we would be more successful if we learn to appreciate the approach that somebody else might have to the exact same situation and circumstances that we are dealing with. And so our ability to navigate conflict well requires self-awareness and a willingness to learn. You know, throughout this series, we are, are sharing with you some excellent materials via our weekly email. Um, and, and the material this week uh, from the Peaceful Practices uh, material uh, walks us through five different approaches to conflict. And I think that they can be helpful and I expect that as we reflect on them, we can, we're going to find ourselves in at least a couple of these. You know, for some of us, we would honestly just prefer to avoid conflict altogether, wouldn't we? In fact, we would find it hard to believe that that conflict will result in anything good. And so what we do is we tend to pull back from conflict. This might look like postponing hard conversations or diverting attention or or denying the presence of a conflict altogether. Or maybe we we take a step back and we consult with other people where we take a moment to ourselves. What we're doing is we're kind of avoiding dealing with something head-on. Now what this approach can do is it can reinforce the idea that conflict is a bad thing. And by living this out, what we might find ourselves, what we might find the result is that conflict has actually been preserved and actually starts to simmer until it boils over and makes a big mess. And for some of us, as we think about that approach to conflict, and I gotta say, this one sort of is me, okay? Um, it feels like weakness because I can see the weaknesses that are in it. But we need to remember what the Apostle Paul says that he says that members of the body that seem weak are in fact indispensable. And so as we think about this way of dealing with conflict, we should keep in mind that there's actually some good things here. You know, people who, who avoid conflict, or maybe this is their, their tendency, uh, will avoid getting tangled up in some rather trivial issues. Or when we do find ourselves in conflict, this approach gives time for cooling off and to process what is happening before we actually choose to engage it. Because we're not inclined to jump right in. Now in certain settings, this is me. And I'm wondering, we're going to go through a couple of these this morning. I'm wondering how many of you might be willing to put your hand up and say, yep, that's me too. Couple hands, okay, good. As avoiders, we might not be willing to put our hand up on this one. Let me just say that right now, okay? You're like, I don't know about that. And I'm going to say, as we go through a couple of these, you might find that you could put your hand up to a few of them and do that because that is actually, we're going to get to that part. No one person only lives out one of these conflict styles all the time. In different circumstances, in different settings, with different people, we can live out different styles here. Now, there's others of us who, well, and this one kind of rubs those avoiders the wrong way, they tend to, provide, tend to prefer to attack conflict head-on. And almost, it's almost a competition in how we deal with conflict because, in a sense, we want to win. We believe that there's a right way, and we know what it is, and we want you to know that we know what it is. And so that's some, for some of us, that's sort of our approach to conflict. 
And the, the unfortunate thing is that this approach tends to reduce issues to binary responses. You're either with me or you're against me. It, it kind of is an e becomes either or. And if this is us, we, we kind of need to be careful because we could come across aggressive and we could find ourselves escalating conflict. We could find ourselves causing more harm. And that might not be our intention, but that might be an un unintended result. And as good peacemaking Christians, we might find ourselves thinking that the right answer is to look down on this approach, to say, mm, that's not the one we're supposed to take here. But again, remember what the Apostle Paul says in this passage when he says the members of the body that we tend to think are less honorable are in fact clothed with greater honor. You know, in times of an emergency, folks who are quick and are vocal, we need them. When there's a fire in the house, it is not time to sit down and be like, hey guys, I think it might be getting hot in here. Do you think we should go? What do we think? Let's go around the room. Do you think we, no, we need to get people out of the house. And not only that, but these are, are the folks who have advanced the causes of human rights because they feel strongly about what is right and what is wrong. They have that deep sense of justice. And so we need people like this. And so I'm wondering if anybody would be willing to put their hand up and say, hey, this is, this is kind of me. Yeah, there's a few of you out there. Good. Okay. Okay. I see. Yeah. Okay. Now, for others of us, our approach to conflict looks like we're keeping the peace as we continually make space for other people to make decisions. And we might call this being accommodating. Now, the downside to this is that it can tend to lead to the neglect of our own needs, and it can tend to lead to the perpetuating of negative patterns. And not only that, but when we, when we yield to, constantly yield to others, what we're actually doing is we're reducing the opportunities for creative solutions to emerge because we're just giving in to what somebody else might want. But this approach isn't all bad either. None of these approaches are all bad. They all got good stuff. That's why we're talking about them. You know what it does? This approach does is it demonstrates a flexibility and an openness to what other people might have to offer. Indeed, there are certain times and certain circumstances where it's completely appropriate to yield to the expertise and the perspective of somebody else. We don't know anything. And what we're talking about here, they do. It's appropriate for us to accommodate them and to yield to them because they know what is going on and we don't. And you know what? On issues of little importance, there can be value in preserving the relationship by accommodating somebody else. And so accommodating isn't all bad. Any of us say that this is us? Okay. Now, some of us, what we want to do is we want to get everybody involved. We want to, and we are willing to spend the time working on finding that viable solution that works for everybody. And with this approach, conflict is, is welcomed as an opportunity to dive into what is really going on, and, and with the hope being that we can find a solution that works for all parties involved. And we might call this collaboration. Now, as great as this approach is, there's a bit of a shadow side to it, because for some of us, we're going to feel overwhelmed by the process that is involved in collaboration. And in fact, it might feel like there are some people chiming in who have no business chiming in. Not only that, but we don't always have time for an in-depth analysis of a conflict or a problem. Sometimes, and sometimes there's just not a solution that's going to work for everybody. But that said, this approach has been one that's been held in high regard in the teachings of the church, and I would say specifically in Anabaptist circles where we hold to what has been called a community hermeneutic, where basically we work out things together. Um, and so this collaborative approach to conflict can be really constructive, when, especially when creative outcomes are important. And there's a reasonable chance that everybody, else can, everybody else's needs can be met. We need each other. It's a recognition that we need other people and we don't have it all and we want to sit down and we want to really talk it through. 
Now, I can honestly tell you this is not my strength, okay? And in fact, if you are close to me, whether you've been sitting in a meeting with me as my staff or a family member, you will know that this is not my strength because I like quick decisions, okay? I don't like chewing on things, like things that go around and round and round. I, I, I can't handle it. But for some of you, that doesn't mean it's bad, though, okay? It really doesn't. I'm, what I'm saying this is because I'm realizing that I need people like this in my life because otherwise I will make a quick decision and I'll stick with it when, you know what, there are other options that need to be considered. There's other people who need to be considered. You know, when working through a contentious issue or troubleshooting a problem, this approach can be so productive, and it contains the potential for everybody involved to be heard and included, and so um, put your hand up if this is you because I need people like you in my life. I do. Now, there's one last conflict style where we, we see conflict as a mutual a difference that requires that we all compromise. We all compromise a little, a little bit, and we meet each other halfway with, a, with an emphasis on fairness, really. Now, this is a highly practical approach that can move quickly, but the thing is, if we're not careful, we might not actually address the underlying conflict. And because of that, neither party might, may feel satisfied and not only that, but the steps taken in a compromise might not be nearly enough. In fact, there are, there are some situations where maybe one party is clearly in the wrong and needs to be held accountable, and to only go part way feels actually like injustice. That said, this, this approach has some advantages to it. You see, because we aren't doing a deep dive, it can be time efficient, it can achieve some good things in a short run. And done well, what it does do is it reinforces the ideal that you and I are on equal footing in a conflict and that each one of us have a part to play in reconciliation. Anybody say that this is you? We've started to put up less hands as this thing has gone on. Maybe you're just tired. You're like, I had my hand up for the first three and my shoulder, it's, it's aching now. Maybe that's it. No, okay. You know, my hope is that as we work through these approaches to engaging conflict, that you are able to see yourself in a couple of them. And again, the reality is, is that, that no, we, we don't only ever embody one of these conflict styles all the time. You know, in different settings with different people, we have different tendencies. You know, at home, you might find that you are really direct, but at work, you tend to compromise. And I think that's normal. Now, as we have talked through these, I hope that you're getting this idea that there is not a one-size-fits-all way to navigate conflict. In fact, I would suggest that our ability to navigate conflict well grows as we learn to appreciate the strengths of others. Again, remember, God's creation is expressed in diversity. You know, God didn't just create one type of tree, one type of flower, one type of fruit, one type of person and declare it to be good. No, God's creation is made and declared to be good in its diversity with diversity of flowers and trees and foods. Can you imagine if you could only eat one food for the rest of your life? I think that's what drove the Israelites a little bit kind of uh, nuts as they wandered around when they only got manna, right? Imagine that. God's goodness is expressed in diversity. And so as we look at how God has gifted us, we recognize that our unique gifts are a part of God's design and need to be valued as such. In our passage, Paul su suggests that God has arranged the body so that each part should have equal concern or equal care for one another. It's an interdependence that he's speaking about, that we need each other. And one of the ways that we benefit from one another is how different people see and understand and respond to things like conflict. 
And so we need to understand both the strengths and the weaknesses of each approach so that we stand a chance of responding the best way possible to the various conflicts that we might find ourselves in. You know, this week we will find ourselves in something that's sticky, awkward, volatile, just weird, whether it's a, on a personal level or something that we engage in that's happening in our society, in our world. We're going to engage these things. Now, what's interesting is that the Apostle Paul begins by saying that, that the Spirit unites us. And then after he talks about the variety of gifts, he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I had Sandra come up short here because otherwise she would have been still reading this morning. After talking about these gifts and this diversity, he goes on to talk about love. And I think those things go together, and it would be really interesting to spend more time reflecting on this idea of diversity and love and how they connect. But it should remind us that how we live out diversity is to be defined, defined by this radical notion of love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a wonderful passage that should be read at every meeting that we ever sit down, every family gathering. We do a great job of reading it at weddings, but it applies to so much more. That how we live out diversity is to be defined by this radical notion of love. You know, as I, I found, found myself in these different uh, conflict styles this week, I, I tended to gravitate to the things that weren't so good. You know, I tend to be a bit of a critic of myself and my own abilities, and I found myself being like, well, this is wrong, and that's wrong, and that's a bad thing. You know, as we look at this this week, let me encourage us to instead be looking, instead of looking just at the weaknesses, to find ourselves really reflecting on the strengths, and to be looking for the best in both ourselves and in the people around us. You know, what are the strengths that we bring into our interactions with others? And maybe ask ourselves, how am I uniquely equipped to speak, out, speak into that conflict that I'm experiencing? Maybe as you sit around this weekend and meet family and friends, maybe there's a situation that's going to come up. And how are you, how am I uniquely gifted to be a part of that conversation in that moment? And not only that, but what are the strengths of the people around us? The people maybe sitting beside us, the people sitting around our tables later on this weekend. You know, what are the strengths that they have and how can that speak into the situations that I'm facing? Maybe we can learn from them. Or, or maybe they are better equipped to help facilitate a, a hard conversation. You know, here's the thing. As a, as a church community, we have and we will again encounter some hard conversations together. You know, things that are flashpoints in our society, perhaps maybe a difference in how we interpret scripture or a difference in, in doctrine. Uh, things, some things are going to be deeply personal to some of us, and it's going to hurt when the conversations come up. We're going to disagree on them. And that's just going to happen because we are human beings. Because we happen to be humans and we have relationships with one another, we are going to disagree on things. But how we engage these moments matter. And how we engage the, these conversations and potential uh, conflicts as a community of followers of Jesus is really important because it expresses who God has created us to be and who God has, continues to create us as individuals and as a community. And so this week I'm giving us some homework. The first is to take some time to learn. And I'm referring you back to the email that you got this morning with the peaceful practice material for this week. And there's one page on it that has a nice summary with some nice diagrams. There's a turtle on there and a lion. It, it looks really nice. Anyways, review it and to look at, find yourself in those conflict styles and to, and to make yourself aware of, of the strengths and the weaknesses of that. The second is to discover, you know, what is my default conflict style? And to really reflect on what are my strengths and, and where, do, where might I come up short here? 
And then third, to look around and to see the people around us and, and to see what their strengths are and, and to see how we might be able to learn from their approach. You know, how can we benefit from the gifts of others? And perhaps this is just an opportunity to, to set up a coffee with somebody. Maybe, and to sort of say, honestly, like, hey, this came up at home this week. How would you have handled that? Or like I, at work, I mean, I got into this thing with my boss. Can you, can you help me give me, do you have any ideas for how I could have done this differently? We can do that for one another. It, we can come from our, our partner. It can come from our house church. It can come from a friend. But we can do that for each other. Because we are not all the same, we're going to have a different perspective on that conflict, what it is, what it could be, the approach going forward. We can, we can learn from one another if we take the time to look around. And the last one is just to be thankful. I mean, thank goodness we are not all the same. If we were all a bunch of Joshes, oh my goodness, we would be in trouble, okay? We would be very decisive and we'd get into a whole lot of trouble very quickly, okay? We need Michelles in our life. No, we need other people in our life. You do need more Michelle in your life, let's just say that. But you need other people. We need other people because we need to appreciate the diversity and we need to give thanks for it that we are not the same and we have different gifts and we have different things to offer the relationships that we have with one another and, and perspectives that can help shape how we live out our faith out there. We need each other and we ought to give thanks for that. That we're sitting right around us are resources to help us navigate conflict and to help us deal with hard things well and better than we would on our own. As we go into our time of prayer this morning, we'll, we'll make a little bit of space for us to give thanks for some of the good things that are going on, but we also want to be giving thanks for the diversity that God has blessed us with as a church community. And so I invite you to, to pray with me now. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. And Lord, we want to say thank you for this prompt that we have by our society to pause and say thank you. And God, I want to say we shouldn't need a prompt like this, but it is, it is helpful. And so Lord, this morning we want to just pause and to say thank you for the good gifts that you've given us. Even in hard seasons, Lord, there are things that we can say thank you for. Lord Jesus, I want to say thank you for each person who is a part of this community, for those who are online with us this morning, for those who are here, for those who aren't able to be with us. Lord, thank you for who you have brought into this community. Whether that we've been here a long time or this is our first week, Lord, we're just grateful. We're grateful for the opportunity for relationships. We're, we're grateful for long-standing relationships and for brand new ones. God, recognizing that something special happens here because you are present. These relationships are, uh, have a supernatural nat component to them. So God, thank you. God, I want to say thank you for the unique gifts, abilities, and perspectives that you've given each one of us. For the abilities to lead, to serve, to discern. For the gifts of caring and insight. For knowledge. God, I just want to say thank you for how you've gifted each of us. And Lord, as a, as a community, we ask that you would give us an appreciation, a new appreciation for the things that make us unique. Lord, that we would not find the things that make us different as points of conflict, but Lord, we would celebrate them. And Lord, we would learn to lean into them 
as opportunities to grow and to reflect who you are much more fully than we can on our own. Lord, as we look to the week ahead, we acknowledge that we are going to have conflicts. We are going to have moments when we aren't sure what to do, when we are just at the end of our, our, our rope, when, our, when we are just completely frazzled, Lord, or when we've, put, we've stepped in it and we have said something wrong and we, God, we've just taken something in the wrong direction. Lord Jesus, would you guide us in those moments? Would you encourage us to not to give up? Lord, would you grow in us a desire to be peacemakers? And God, would you help just open our eyes to see the resources that we have around us? Give us the courage to put up our hands and say, I need help with this when we need help. Give us the willingness to listen to the insight that others might have in our circumstances. And Lord, most of all, we ask that you would transform us increasingly into people who look more and more like Jesus, that we would be your peacemakers here on earth, that your kingdom would, would come to life through us. In your name we pray, amen.